to the very last Lioness podcast. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop podcasting, but this is going to be the last podcast that I ever make that is just called Lioness. We are doing a big rebranding. We're doing a big relaunch of the podcast. If you haven't noticed, you guys, my brand is going through a death and rebirth, much like my soul, (laughs) much like Jane in general. So, you know, why wouldn't my work follow that suit? And uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give away any more about what to expect on the rebrand, but um, I think you all feel it coming. Um, we're niching down, we're getting a lot more specific, and I'm so excited for this lineup of guests that I've been working on. So, you know, but it's so beautiful because Lioness really is kind of coming to a close. This summer that I've been sharing so much with you guys is coming to a close. I just taught such a great yoga class outside here in Colorado. It's 51 degrees out and I just am all cozy in my layers and my fuzzy socks with my coffee and you know summer's ending. Summer's ending and this cycle that I've been through um, is also ending. And I wonder, you, you may hear the joyful chatterbox of the one-and-a-half-year-old that I'm living with right now, my little baby niece, Oshi. You might be hearing her. Um, but yeah, today is, you know, f- today is finishing this lioness project, finishing this cycle. And I just want to thank you guys so much because this podcast this summer while I've been traveling, it really turned into like Jane's therapy. And I know I provide so much value for you guys. I know that you guys get so much out of my stories, but it's felt a little bit self-absorbed this summer because, you know, I've really needed y'all. I've really needed you guys and your support. And the last podcast episode that I released called Jane's Hard Thing was one of the hardest things for me to ever record and admit to, but making that show was so incredibly healing. Like, I feel so much better since I just opened up to you guys and just was honest and I think that when you're in a position of leadership like I am and when you're holding space for so many incredible people and young women you you worry about your own flaws making you out of alignment you worry that your own flaws might some way prevent you from being the best teacher that you can be And then you even worry that not sharing them and keeping those insecurities to yourself is making you even more out of alignment, you know? And so I've learned such a beautiful lesson this summer of like, be fucking real. Be real. I'm not perfect, you guys. Like, I've been through so much shit in my life. I've been through so many hard days. I've been through so many nights when I did not think I was going to make it. And... That's why I am here to teach, you know, like, would you really want to learn from me if I was just like, yep, life was perfect, perfect family, perfect home, perfect neighborhood, perfect student, perfect, perfect, perfect. No, I would have no wisdom to give you guys. I would have nothing to give you, you know, Um, and it's really those of you who are listening and you you have gone through trauma that you think you'll never overcome, or you've gone through such heavy things that you don't think you could ever help anybody, that is what makes you good at what you do. That is your rich soil. That is this, that is the the gold, that is the 
alchemy of your life. You're taking that darkness and you're making it into gold that you can offer to others that has so much value because you've lived it. You've been through it. You know? So I just want to share that with you and empower you. And before I get into today's episode, obviously I have a lot going on in my world right now. Um, I'm so excited because I just opened my email. I already have 12 of you signed up for the Awaken Masterclass that's happening on October 4th. So this is going to be an amazing class. Like just seeing the signups rolling in is just filling me up, you guys. So the Awaken Masterclass, it's happening on October 4th. It's my first free masterclass that I have held in so long. And basically what I want you to expect. So in Sanctuary, in my signature chakra healing program that is open for enrollment right now, in Sanctuary, we have lectures every other week that are on the chakras. And then I take you through an embodiment to activate those chakras. And so the Awaken Masterclass is basically a little sliver of what it's like to be in sanctuary. We are going to do some energy mastery cultivation. I'm going to give you all my tools. Well, not all of them, but as many as I can give you in the two hours we have of First, we're going to get into your energy. We're going to get you feeling incredible. We're going to get you feeling high vibe. I'm going to teach you how to meditate and how to visualize. And then we're going to get into some journaling to activate that energy, to bring you into these spaces where we're unraveling your limiting beliefs. We're rewiring them. We're leaning into your values and your blessings. And then we're going to talk a little bit about why do we want an open third eye? Why do we want to activate the third eye? What is the third eye? What does that even mean for it to be open? And then we're going to finish up by getting into your vision. And if you don't have a vision for your future, if I said, what's your vision for the next three years of your life? What's your vision for the next five years? In 10 years, what's your vision for your life? If you don't have one, then you are wandering without and without any goals, without an endpoint without anything to manifest. And here's the thing, the universe wants to give you everything you're asking for, but so many of us aren't sure what we want. We're not really sure what to reach for. And sadly, I see a lot of us looking at what other people have and thinking, well, maybe I want that. Instead of tuning deeply into ourselves and what we deeply, deeply want. So the beauty of this meditation that I guide you through is that you're going to see what it is that you truly want. Your subconscious is going to show you what you truly want. You're going to see what people are going to be around. You're going to see there's just so much wisdom here in this practice. And the beautiful thing about this specific workshop is that you can do this again and again and again and again and just keep building on it and keep cultivating it. It's just, I'm so excited. I'm so, 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 so excited. So, um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else I want to share about it. Like, it's free. It's happening on October 4th. Um, I'm going to be in California by the time I'm hosting it. And just come ready to, like, literally change your energy, change your frequency, change your world, change your life. And you're going to step out of that feeling the way you want to feel. You know, as manifestation teachers, we're always talking about being high vibe, manifesting from a high frequency. And it's not that hard. Sometimes when we're in scarcity, 
we're like, oh God, I can't create from here. I'm so scattered. I'm so low vibe. All of these things I can't create from here. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? How do I change it? How do I fix it? I will teach you how. It is not that hard. And if you commit to doing these practices daily, it will change your life. And of course, that's what we're doing in Sanctuary. So the Awaken Masterclass is just going to be a tiny sliver of what you're going to get in Sanctuary. Because in Sanctuary, we are going to go through every chakra. So, you know, I was talking to Maddie yesterday. I was on her podcast and we we're talking about the importance of getting grounded. 50% of the work that I am doing with my clients and with myself is getting grounded getting grounded so many of us especially us spiritual babes we are way up in the top chakras like we are just way into our third eye (laughs) which is why sometimes i'm like do we want to start with a third eye with this master class but we do because getting into that vision is what's going to make you want to get grounded into your root chakra activating your sacral chakra embodying your solar plexus healing your heart opening your heart big that's where my big buddhist teachings come in is when we get to the heart chakra living in alignment being the main authority of your throat chakra opening the third eye of course awakening and then opening the crown which i like to call walking the path of spirit walking that path of deep devotion to the planet now if you don't know what each of those chakras are, as I'm mentioning all of them, if you don't know the energetics that's behind each of them, then really you haven't quite learned what alignment actually means yet. So many coaches out there are talking about alignment, alignment, alignment. What does that even mean? Alignment is when all of your energy centers, your subtle body, your energy centers of the seven chakras and the channels and the nadis that are flowing through them, are all spinning and harmoning. And this can change all the time. This can change day to day. But if we don't know what's out of alignment, how can we get ourselves back into alignment? If we don't know what's happening with each of these chakras, why my throat chakra is way too open or why my root chakra is way too closed, we actually can't come into that alignment. And what I've learned in my life, especially through Buddhism, this is everything I teach is fully aligned with Buddhist philosophy, is that it's once we come into this alignment, we've cleared the energy, we've cleared the delusions and the obscurations and the limitations of our mind, and we've really worked on our energy and we've really done that deep healing work within ourselves, our subtle body, our energetic body becomes in this alignment. The frequency is so high that you're manifesting just so freaking fast. It's scary how this program works. It's not me. It's not you. It's sanctuary. It's the codes that are in sanctuary that are here to bring you into that spiral up and make you a magnet for everything that you want. So sign up for the Awaken Masterclass. It's free. Come check it out. And then of course, enrollment is open for sanctuary. I'll put the application in the show notes. Once you apply, if you're a graduate, if you've already done Sanctuary, you get 50% off. Kim from our last round has already signed up for the next round, and a couple of you have already mentioned that you're thinking about doing it again. Beautiful. You get 50% off. And then, of course, 
you can buy the regular package of Sanctuary, um, and then you can also upgrade to a VIP package where you get three one-on-one -on -one calls with me. If you are really looking for one-on-one -on -one mentorship, one-on-one -on -one guidance, or even if you want Akashic Records readings or Reiki trainings while we're in Sanctuary, you can do that too. So you'll see all of that in the application. And then once you apply, you'll be directed to book a free 30-minute coaching call with me where we can just chat and connect and see where you're coming from and answer all of your questions, get you on what, whatever kind of payment plan works best for you. We've got three month and six month payment plans. There's this little voice that keeps telling me to offer a year long payment plan, which sounds kind of insane to me, but it's almost like one of you is needing that. Like one of you is sending me this message through the airwaves. It's like, Jane, if you could let me pay this off in 12 months, it would work. It would work. I would do it. So if you're one of those people, just let me know. Talk to me. Like, I want to make this happen for you. So if you're worried about the money or you're worried about the time or you're worried about anything, talk to me because I have created sanctuary for you, not for me. Well, I did create it for me. I did it first and I do it all the time, but like this container is for you. So the times that we meet is for you. <laughs> the times that we meet are what's best for you. The payment plan that you create is what's best for you, okay? Because this is your journey, and I'm just guiding you on it. So we start October 17th for Sanctuary. We'll be initiating, and by then, actually, I'll be all settled in to my place in Mexico for the winter. So I'm really excited to have you guys hanging out with me in Mexico. We're going to have a great time, and um, yeah. So I think that's all I got to say about what's going on in my biz, in my world, and um, let's get into the show, shall we? So today I just kind of wanted to finish up like traveling, landing in Lisbon part two, and kind of catch you guys up on the rest of my journey and the rest of my travels as, you know, the final episode of Lioness podcast. I think it's going to be a really fun way to kind of complete our journey together here on this specific podcast. So last I talked to you guys, um, I was alone in Lisbon in um, the kind of a coastal area called Alfama and the vibe was just like not quite right to me in that neighborhood. Like I told you guys something was so off to me and I I was so ready to pack up my bags and get out of there and move on. Now, I want to be so clear about this. My mom came to visit me while we were in Lisbon. If you follow my stories, you already saw that. She came to visit me. When my mom comes to visit me, we live a five-star life. <laughs> I'm just going to be as straightforward as I can. My mom likes nice things. She wants to stay at the nicest hotels. She wants to fly first class. She wants to go to the best restaurants. And that's really fun for me, right? I can't afford a five-star hotel. I don't want to go to restaurants and pay to have like caviar and tuna tartare. Like these aren't things that excite me, but it's really fun to get to do that with your mom. And so I know that so many of you watched me transition from like Airbnb life, trucking it by myself to like this five-star world. I didn't manifest any of that. I didn't pay for any of that. That was my mom. And I just want to be like super clear about that because sometimes I get concerned that I'm like giving you guys this idea that like I'm paying 
<laughs> to stay in these five-star hotels. As much as I would love to, it's not worth it to me. What we pay for one night in one of those hotels gets me a week in a hostel, and I like being in the hostel. But I'll tell you guys, as the spoiled little girl that I am, I was so ready to get out of that Uber and to have a bellboy come take my bags for me and to just be taken care of. To be able to order room service, to be able to lay out by the pool, to just transition from like the hard working life of a traveler to just chilling, to just chilling. So my mom got us this gorgeous room at a place called, um, oh, what is it called? Altus Avenida. And it was on Avenida Liberdade. And Liberdade Avenue is like where Gucci and Prada and Louis Vuitton and Miu Miu and like all the nicest five-star hotels are and like all the nicest five-star restaurants. So I finished my time in Lisbon in like the nicest part of Lisbon. And here's the thing I'll tell you guys about traveling five-star. You are so sheltered from the real world. You are so sheltered from the real culture. And that's the biggest qualm that I have with staying at these nice hotels and going to these nice restaurants is that you're actually not, you're experiencing the culture at a very privileged elitist level and you're not really getting into like the roots of the culture. So I think a lot of us like dream about being able to travel this way, but it separates you in a way. And I just want to talk about that because it, it does. And I've talked to some of my friends about this. Like, you know, a lot of us were raised with parents who want to stay in the nicest hotels, who want to be driven everywhere. Like the concierge makes your reservation for you, chooses your restaurant for you and sends you there. The adventure isn't there. The eating at the tiny mom pop restaurant isn't there. So it's just a different experience, but it doesn't mean it isn't fun. So our first night or so, I think it was on my mom's birthday, they were like, you need to go to Je ne sais quoi, Asia. It's so nice. We'll make you a reservation. And I was like, okay, I'm worried it's going to be this really stuffy, boring, you know, that can be the problem with some of these European places that it's just stuffy and it's just boring. And this restaurant was so dope. I felt like we walked in and I was transported to like some crazy like Kyoto Japanese like downtown. There's like, I took tons of pictures. It was, it was called Asia, right? So it was supposed to be like just this Asian fusion. And there's like this really, these really cool like neon art all over the walls and the there was a DJ in the bathroom. Like, it was just the coolest restaurant ever. And the food was insane. It was insanely expensive. And it was insane. And just delicious, though. Like, every single food, piece of food that they brought out to us. It was just so much fun. So, if you're ever in Lisbon and you want to go to, like, the fanciest place... Look up the Je ne sais quoi restaurants. We also went to Je ne sais quoi Mediterranean. That was fancy too, but it wasn't as fun as the Asian one. And then for the next day for my mom's birthday, we went to a beach club. That's another thing I highly recommend. If you go to Lisbon, book yourself 
some beds or some chairs or there's so many different things at these cool beach clubs and it's very like moroccan vibe you can spend the whole day there for like 20 bucks they'll bring you drinks they'll bring you dinner you can go into the restaurant and eat and that day i was so absorbed with just like being with my mom and enjoying it i didn't post one picture i didn't post one video and it was the coolest beach club it was so 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 cool and we had so much fun there and the interesting thing is that i watched the season in lisbon go from just packed in august just packed the beaches were packed the restaurants were packed it was so hard to get a table or a chair anywhere and so I'm telling my mom, like, we've got to make reservations for everything. This country is so full of tourists. And then September hits and it's like, everyone's gone. I was like, mom, I swear, the beach is normally packed. Like, where are all the people? <laughs> so that was really cool to observe. And um, I'm really excited to get back to Lisbon in the winter season and to see what it's like when nobody's there and to see what the cold weather is like and... Uh, you guys, I'm just craving, I am craving getting back to Lisbon. I've only been home for like a week and a half and I am just craving to go back. Now, we did take a day trip to Sintra. Sintra. If you haven't heard of Sintra, it is a really small town in Portugal. And the beauty of Sintra is that it's where all of the royalty used to live. It's where all the royalty used to live. So Portugal was actually originally occupied by who we would call the Moors or like the original Islamic tribes of Europe. So it's really, really cool because you can see the Moorish architecture all over Portugal and it is wild. Like these ancient Islamic tribes were geniuses, like architectural brilliance that you are seeing and if you saw in my stories the moorish castle in sintra was so amazing because it just looked like a wall of rocks it just looked like a wall of rocks on the top of the mountain and then as you zoom in with your camera or if you have good eyes if you have your glasses on you can see that it's actually a castle it's a straight up stone castle we have no idea how they built it we have no idea how they did this and that's the thing that I love about Europe. In the United States, history is history. Like, we're like, this happened this way. When you're in Europe, history is, we believe that the Moors did it this way. We think that it happened in this year. We think that this is what happened when they had to leave. And that's what I think is so exciting about Europe, is that you can't really prove any of it. Like, obviously, archaeologists can prove and, and date as much as they can, but that's what was so fun about learning about the history of, of Europe in general is that, like, it's so ancient that they it wasn't all fact. A lot of it was like, yeah, this is what we think happened. So we get to Sintra, we take the train, which is our first time taking the train, and y'all... As an American, taking a train is so hard. But then I talk to my friends who live in Europe and they're like, no, trains are confusing. Like trains, like we all get stressed when we go to the train station. No one's totally sure. So that actually made me feel better. But as an American, I just feel like whenever I have to take a train, I'm like, this is hard. <laughs> so 
we take the train, but that's the cool thing. The train costs like $12. We take the train to Sintra. We get off. We walk around. And I was like, today's the day we're going to hire a tuk-tuk. If you don't know what a tuk-tuk is, it's kind of like an electric bike with like a carriage behind it. You can find it in a lot of different countries where people will take you on a tuk-tuk ride to show you around. And I was just like, mom, I think today's the day we should just get a tuk-tuk driver to just drive us all over and show us around. And so we start looking for one and I just see a couple sitting around and I'm like, hey, we'd love to get a tour. And of course, I'm speaking in Portuguese and the guy responds in Portuguese and he's like, are you Brazilian? <laughs> and I'm like, no, I'm not. Are you? And he's like, yeah, I am. I'm like, oh my God, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Rio. And my mom and I look at each other and we're like, we love Rio. We love Rio. And so we get in his tuk-tuk and he takes us around. And the first place he takes us is actually um, a well where water is coming out. And all these people are bringing their bottles to fill up their water. And so that's like first thing that I wish someone would have ta told me about Synthra bring your canteen, bring your water bottle so you can fill up your water. I was so mad I didn't bring my water bottle. I didn't think about it. <laughs> and I was like, what are we doing here? And he's like, you got to drink the water of Sintra. They say that once you drink the water, you'll never stop thinking about this place and you'll want to move here. The water in Sintra has magic to it. It has magic healing powers, especially if you get it from this specific well. So, you know, I just leaned over, used my hands, drank the water, gave myself a little blessing with it. But, God, not only was this Brazilian man just reminding me why I love Brazilians so much, but he loved Sintra. Like, he was just so passionate about the storytelling and the history and, and like, now you've drank the water and now you're going to want to come live here with us. And... The cool thing about Sintra, like I already mentioned, it's where the royalty used to live. So there are palaces everywhere. There are castles everywhere. It is so cool. So he's taking us all over. And it's one of those things where you're kind of like, you don't know what you're seeing. And then he's like, look over there. And there's just like a freaking castle right there. And our specific guide really wants to do like hiking and climbing tours through Synthra. So he brought us into the woods. He brought us to just so many places. And then he ended at what was my favorite place that I wish we would have gotten tickets to to go into. And it was called, I think it was called Lago Seven Lakes. I think that's what it's called. I could be wrong. Um, but I think if you ask anyone in Synthra about Seven Lakes, they'll know what I'm talking about. And it's, um, so, oh my gosh, I'm like trying to remember. So the Brazilian queen who moved back to Synthra married Ferdinand, who became the king. I really hope I'm remembering this all correctly. And by then there were so many castles in Portugal that he wanted to make like a mini, a miniature estate of castles. So he made seven lakes with seven miniature replicas of each castle in these lakes. And I only got to see one of them that was the replica of the Moorish castle. And that was kind of the end of our tour and kind of the end of our day there. Like we were ready to eat lunch and get the train back home. And I was like, I really wish that I that we got tickets to see these seven lakes because I really want to see this place. So if I ever went back to Synthra, I would definitely, A, 
go with a romantic partner. Sorry, mom. But it, this was like the most romantic place I've ever seen. Just, mwah. Um, I would definitely stay for a couple of days. Definitely get a tuk-tuk driver to take me everywhere. There's some really cool like swimming holes and beaches in Sintra. Um, I would bring my water bottle to drink the water every day and I would definitely go see these seven lakes. Um, so if you're wanting like a romantic weekend in Portugal, plan a couple of days in Sintra, message me about it. I'll help you. I'll guide you to it. I'll send you to my amazing tuk-tuk tour guide. I have his card. Um, he was, it was just so wonderful. It was so much fun. And he just kept telling me like, damn, your Portuguese is so good. Like you really sound Brazilian. And, um, he just made me so happy. He was one of those Brazilian friends that I made that was just so warm and kind. And I was just, I was so grateful that he took us around. It was so worth it. It was like, I don't know, maybe 60 bucks to be taken around for the day. And then he dropped us at a place to get lunch. We had lunch and then we caught the train back and it was just such an easy day. And that's what I love about Europe is that you can just catch a train to wherever you want to go for so cheap. And then before you know it, you're back home. So then we were back home, back to our hotel, blah, blah, blah. Then my mom wanted to go to Porto. Now, I feel like I I'm I feel like I missed the point to be honest on Porto. And I I'm sorry. So many people were like you got to go to Porto, you're going to love Porto. I loved Porto. I mean, I love everywhere we go in Portugal. We stayed at a really cozy hotel that had this beautiful spa in the basement that nobody was at. And after all the traveling I had had, I was like, I want to spend all day in this basement spa. It was so cool down there. And that's the problem with these nice hotels that my mom takes me to is that I'm like, this place is so nice. I don't want to go anywhere. I want to stay here all day. And the, the pool was so beautiful. It was just everything about this hotel was so beautiful that it almost made me like, I'll just hang out here all day. I don't need to go into town. But Porto itself, so we were actually on the south side of the river. We were in Gaia. We weren't actually in Porto. But as soon as you cross the river, then you're technically in Porto. And Porto reminded me kind of like Vale. If you've ever been to Vale or, you know, I don't want to compare it to Deer Valley, but it had this very mountain town vibe. There are gondolas and funiculars and just tons of restaurants and tons of people and it just kind of had that like vibe of like a small mountain town even though like no mountain town it had a big river going through the middle of it and porto is known for their port wine and i'm not a wine drinker in general if you guys don't know this about me i do not drink wine i don't drink it if you've seen me drink wine i'm probably just trying to be polite or just having a weird night where i decide i'm going to drink wine but, um, so of course I'm like, no, let's have a wine tasting. Let's, let's give it a try. <sighs> I've never had to try so hard to cover my disgust. <laughs> like, it was terrible. It was terrible. And then I was telling my friend Law, who lives in Wales, like how terrible it was. And she was like, oh no, like you got to put it into a cocktail. Like I make the best port wine cocktail. And I was like, exactly. It needs to have a, it needs to be in a cocktail. It's way too strong to just drink it straight. And I kind of felt like the whole 
point of Porto. And please, if you're listening and you've had a different experience in Porto, please reach out to me. Please message me because I was there for three days and I just felt like I was missing something. I was like, this place is packed. So many people told me to come here. I feel like I'm missing the point and I just want to go back to Lisbon. That was kind of my experience in Porto. Like, it was beautiful. It was definitely a lot quieter in Porto. It was, I felt like the energy there was so calm and and that almost was maybe part of why I, I didn't want to do much like I really I got there and I was like wow I really want to relax like the energy here is so calm the energy here is so quiet and I just want to chill and be and that's the beauty of traveling with someone like my mom is that she's not that type of person who's like we got to get up we got to go see this we got to go see that we really love to just like immerse ourselves in the culture. If it means going to the same coffee shop every morning, if it means going back to that same restaurant because we loved it there last night, you know, like it's really settling into the culture. And I'll just never be that type of person that's like, we got to see this, we got to see that, we got to go all over the place. Like, enjoy, enjoy. So I really enjoyed the peacefulness of Porto. And then when it was time to go get on the train and go back, you guys, like, I was so ready to go back to Lisbon. Like, I literally felt like, I want to go home. I'm ready to go home. And my mom was like, honey, we're going back to Lisbon. I'm like, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm ready to go home. And when we got back to the train station and like walked out of the train station and I was back in Lisbon, I felt like such a relief. It was just so interesting. I knew where we were. I knew where we were going. I was like, ugh. We're back in Lisbon. Welcome home, Jane. And that's the interesting thing is that I just felt so welcomed in Portugal. I just felt like, ah, man, I just loved it there, you guys. I just loved it. I loved being back. So at our last day, we stayed at what's called the Tivoli, which is like even stuffier of a hotel. Like I walk in and I'm just like white people. Uh, like, and I wanted to make all these jokes on my story. And then I was like, Jane, you need to stop singling out white people. You really need to stop hating on white people. Like you really got to work on this girl. But this hotel was like, oh my God, the room they gave us was stunning. And of course, um, just everything is beautiful. Like these hotels are just incredible. But you know, I want to speak as someone who has gone to all the nicest hotels in the world. There's just something stuffy about these places. And if you ever feel like you're missing out, you're not. You're really not. Like, you're having so much more fun going to hostels and Airbnbs. And like, when you're really old, go to a five-star hotel. Like, save it for later. Don't waste your money on that stuff now. Um, yeah. I just, you know, I, I had dinner with a friend in Portland and, um, man, we come from different backgrounds. Like, man, we come from different backgrounds. And as someone who grew up in an extremely wealthy world, I feel like I have, like, grounds to speak from, you know? And sometimes she reminds me, like, Jane, you're coming from such a privileged perspective. Like, you don't understand. And I'm like, I might not understand your experience, but I can speak from what it's like to live in my world, you're not missing out on anything. Don't waste your money on this shit. Wait until you're older and you really value it and you really appreciate it. And um, 
I'm like, do I have anything to say about the Tivoli? We had a breakfast buffet there. Oh my god, you guys, I was overwhelmed. That was actually one of the hardest meals for me because it was so busy in there. It was so loud and there was so much food to choose from. I kind of freaked out. I didn't know what to eat. I was like, this is way too much. This is There's too many people in here. Everyone's walking around. There's way too many food options. They had this giant like three foot by one foot slab of honeycomb just on the counter. Like just go cut out your own honeycomb. It was wild. And I don't know why I'm sharing that with you, but it's like there are certain moments when the five star stuff is just a bit much for me. And I need to like go be with the normal people and like go breathe. Um, and that was one of those mornings where I was like, this is just all too much for me. Like I need to get out of here. Um, and so on our last day in Lisbon, like we had the best day. We just shopped all day. I bought so many clothes. I was not planning on leaving Lisbon with a whole new wardrobe, but the clothes there are so amazing. We had such amazing meals and I got to meet up with someone, um, named Maria, who's originally from Denmark and we were both on the same podcast. Shout out to Celia, self-expressed babe. She connected us and um, Maria lives in Lisbon with her partner and literally like worked so hard to work with my schedule and meet me to get coffee and I got to talk to someone who also was not a local who you know was a transplant in Lisbon and I got to hear what it was like for her and what it was like for her to live there and just chat with someone there and like make a real friend there and that was really really exciting so shout out to Maria shout out to Celia for hooking us up you guys I'm moving to Lisbon like I'm gonna spend a year of my life living in Lisbon without a doubt it's all I can think about I've been home for a week and a half and like I miss it so much I'm trying not to mention it too much because I don't want any of my American friends to think that I like hate it here or that I'm not happy here but you guys, I miss it so much. Like, I feel homesick. Like, I feel emotional talking about it right now. And I just cannot wait to get back. So mark my words. I'm looking for an apartment. If anyone knows an apartment in Lisbon, send it my way. So we finished up in Lisbon. And um, my last morning there, it was crazy, you guys. My last night there, it starts raining for the first time. It's raining all night. I had 30 days of non-stop sunshine, blue skies. Like the weather there was just in incredible. And it's our last morning there and I have to get up at 6 a.m. And this is my first morning having to wake up early. And I'm telling you guys, waking up early is so hard. <laughs> but waking up really early when you're going through a lot emotionally is even worse. And I, I feel like I preach this all the time, you guys, but when we first wake up in the morning past dawn, our cortisol levels are at their highest. So I know that when I have to wake up at 6 a.m., I'm going to be anxious. I'm going to be low vibe. I'm going to have a lot of really heavy thoughts on my mind. And that morning, I woke up my last day in Europe getting ready to just fly to London. I didn't even have to fly home. I still got to stay in Europe. And all I could think about was how the woman that I loved broke up with me. It was all I could think about. And I was just crying and crying, getting ready to go to the airport. And my mom and I get into the elevator and she's like, honey, are you okay? And I'm like, I just fell apart. I just started bawling. And I was like, mom, I'm so sad that I've been here for five weeks and I'm still sad. 
Like the woman I love doesn't want to be with me. And my mom just like hugged me in the elevator and just held me and was like, it's okay, it's okay. And I was really embarrassed. You guys, like I'm with my mom, you guys, and I was embarrassed that I was still emotional about it. And to have her just hug me and hold me and be like, it's okay, honey. Like, it's totally okay that you're still sad. It was just so supportive. <laughs> and luckily we got to go to the airport together she wasn't allowed to go through security yet i had to go through first but we ended up meeting up at the gates and i got my on my flight to heathrow and she got on her flight back to boston and we we parted ways and and it's funny because before my mom came to meet me i was like so done being alone like i was like okay i'm done i'm done like i really want someone else here i kind of needed someone else to like ground me and keep me steady and then by the end of the time with my mom i was like okay i'm ready to be alone again i'm ready to be alone again like i'm ready to be traveling on my own so on the flight from uh, Lisbon to London, I was so nervous because I knew I was going to have to get off the plane in Heathrow, which is supposed to be the craziest airport, and find a train to Paddington and then get off at Paddington and meet my friends there in Paddington Station. So my friends have literally spelled it out for me step by step. They're like, you can do this, Jane. We believe in you. You've got this. And I'm on the flight next to two people that are clearly English. And I'm like, do you guys mind explaining to me like how I get from Heathrow to Paddington? And they were like, you've got this. It's so easy. You've got this. And they're telling me to do exactly what my friends are telling me to do. But I'm still so nervous and anxious. And I get off the flight and I get, and he, you guys, I don't know if you've noticed. I don't know if I've mentioned this. I have two roller suitcases, a backpack, and my guitar. I got to LAX at the beginning of my trip with one roller suitcase that was two pounds too heavy because of two pairs of jeans that I'm so glad that I brought, but jeans are heavy, y'all. Soon as I took those two pairs of jeans out, my bag was under 50 pounds and I was able to check it for free. Then I'm carrying around these two pairs of jeans in the airport at LAX and I'm like, I can't. I'm not traveling through Lisbon carrying two pairs of jeans in my hands with my guitar on my back. I went into a luggage shop and I bought a smaller suitcase to carry around with me. And I was so irritated that I had to do that, but I'm so glad that I did because I bought so many clothes in Lisbon, like I needed that second suitcase. But then I'm that bitch at the Heathrow airport with so much luggage. And then I realized everyone has tons of luggage. I'm not the only one with tons of luggage. It's fine, but really carrying the guitar on your back, that's a whole other thing. You gotta like get into these elevators to get down to the underground to find the freaking train. And I did not realize I was gonna be underground for a long time. Like that scared me. I was like, y'all did not prepare me to be underground. In the elevator, like we were all squeezing in and this guy helps me. He kind of grabs my bags and kind of helps me squeeze into the elevator. And then we get off the elevator and we're walking off and he like is still holding my bags. And I'm like, um, sir, those are my bags and he looks at me and he goes i know i'm helping you and i was like oh thanks and he's like do you know where you're going and i was like i'm getting the train to paddington he's like okay you're going the right way and he was so kind and i just was like constantly shocked by how kind and helpful people were just like one, there was one train I got off of and I was trying to grab my luggage and this guy behind me he had just picked it up himself and just pulled it off the train for me I didn't ask him to do it he, it was just like this common decency that people had that once I got to the UK I mean people in Portland were or Portugal were also very kind but 
I felt like it was different. And also maybe because I spoke the language, I was more comfortable once I got to the UK. Not that I don't speak Portuguese, but you guys know what I mean. It was my first language. So I was more comfortable. I got on the train to Paddington, was feeling really proud of myself. It was like a 30-minute ride. I got off the train and I'm walking and I immediately see one of my best friends, Kim. And I haven't seen her in like four years since we were in Thailand together at yoga teacher training. So I'm so excited to see her. And then we're like, okay, Lauren is arriving in any moment now. We're looking around. Where's Lauren? Where's Lauren? And then Lauren arrives. And it's totally one of those like beautiful moments where you all meet in the in the train station and we're all with our suitcases running and hugging and we haven't seen each other in years and we're just so excited and within minutes you guys we are laughing so hard these girls make me laugh so hard like this british banter that we hear about not that either of them are british oh my god these girls make me laugh so hard we decide to grab a taxi and we're getting into the taxi just I'm literally dying. I cannot breathe at how hard I'm laughing. And then the taxi driver on his little microphone keeps on jumping in with his little jokes and his little one-liners. And I swear, my first like three hours in London, I cannot stop laughing. And this is what I love about my friends. They just light me up. They light me up they make me feel amazing. We just have such a good time together. So we got to our really cute, I found us this Airbnb that had three twin beds in it and then the rest of it was shared space. It was so cheap and I got it like a couple of days before the queen died. So I was really lucky because we planned our whole trip before the queen died or else it would have been the most expensive weekend. And I was actually worried that London was going to be crazy because of the queen's passing it it really wasn't like i didn't notice a huge difference we were in shortage which was not near buckingham palace and so we weren't really witnessing any of that but the tube let's talk about the tube oh my god so in london basically every other block or so there's an underground and just like in you know the subway in new york you walk underground and there's the tube but i'll tell you the tube is way less scary than the New York subway. And I was, I took the subway in New York just last October. So I feel like I have pretty fresh experience to relate it from. The subway in New York is 10 times scarier than the tube in London. Now the tube in London is shaped like a tube. It's definitely smaller, um, but it's just like cleaner and less scary and like less shady. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have comparisons, I'd love to know what you think. Like I could get around on the subway in New York. The tube in London, I was like, oh my God what the fuck? Like, this makes no sense. And my friend Kim, um, she just had it down. Shout out to you, Kim. She was just like, I got this down. My friends were just very good at navigating. And honestly, it was so nice after navigating by myself for so long to just be with locals who just could navigate for us and get us around. And so we went out. Oh, I wish I could remember the name of the place that we went. It's like this iconic they, like, I could tell that they were kind of, like, it almost was like they took me to, like, a Cracker Barrel, like, something super basic and simple that everyone goes to, but, like, I don't remember what it was called. Damn it. Shout out if you can remember what it's called. <laughs> Anyways, just, like, a simple, fun night going out drinking with my friends. Um, I had to remind myself that I'm a Utah girl who not only... Here's the thing with Utah. If you're from Utah, when you go out to drink in Utah, 
they give you an ounce and a half of alcohol in your cocktail. So when you go anywhere outside of Utah, the average shot is two ounces, and most people will give you a double without asking for it. So when we travel and we're drinking, especially, especially with our friends from the UK, we need to remind ourselves to not try to keep up with them. But I actually did a good job, you guys. I was surprised. I actually did a good job. I didn't drink too much. Um, and I reminded myself, like, you don't need to keep up with these girls. Um, and it was so funny because we went into a Sainsbury's, which is like the little grocery stores, and they were both like, oh, I need a tin. After spending so many weeks in a place where, like, I'm using my second language and feeling confusion, like, feeling like I don't understand people, having those moments where I'm like, oh, no entendeu, like, I'm not totally understanding you. And then going to a place where it is my native language, it is my first language, and I think it's going to be a relief. Oh my god, there were so many moments when Kim and Lauren would be chatting and telling a story, and I'm literally just like, well, I have no idea what they're saying. I don't know what these words mean. I'm very lost in this conversation, and instead of being annoying and asking them to explain it to me, I'm just going to pretend like I get it. And it was just so funny how many moments I had like that. And they're like, oh, we got to go to Sainsbury's. I need a, ten a tin. I think they would call it a tin or a can. I don't even remember anymore. And I'm like, what are what are we doing? What, what do we need in there? And we go to the back of the grocery store and it's just a wall of canned cocktails. Literally any cocktail you could think of, a wall. And like maybe a small portion of it was like hard seltzers. And none of my friends really knew what hard seltzers were. Like I was like, oh, it's such an American thing. I wonder if we had canned cocktails, if the hard seltzers would be less popular in the States. I feel like canned cocktails are becoming more popular in the States, but you guys, this was like a wall of like, oh my god, we probably spent like 20 minutes looking at each one, trying to choose which one we wanted, and then they were each like a dollar. I was like, this is way too cheap, like this isn't good. <laughs> so that was really fun. Anyways, the next day we did decide we would venture into Buckingham Palace because the Queen would be arriving from Scotland that night. And so we would get to see kind of like the buzz of it without actually being in the intensity of all of it. So we took the tube, and this was the crazy thing about the tube, is that in my head I'm like, Buckingham Palace is far from where we are. But you get in the tube and you're there in two seconds. Like... I was amazed at how much ground we covered, like how much of London I actually saw because of their subway and how good it was. So we were in Buckingham Palace in seconds. And then once we got there, it was packed, right? It was like, okay, there's tons of people here everywhere. And I got to see Big Ben and like all the things, go over the bridge, all the things that you see. I got to see the soldiers with the fuzzy things on their head, practicing, <laughs> all of that. We went into a museum, and gosh, I really need to do better at remembering the names of these things, but it's the big, giant, giant museum near Buckingham Palace, and that actually was one of my favorite parts. Kim was like, they're having a Buddhist um, exhibition right now, like, you're gonna love it, we have to go in. It was totally free to go in, and we wandered around that place for hours. It was beautiful so i would highly recommend checking that place out um 
you'll know what it is once you see it. It was an amazing, amazing museum. Just the history there. Yeah, just like so worth checking out. I had so much fun going in there. And then we did the walk to Buckingham Palace and we saw everything. But then like I started to feel all of the sudden like, okay, too many people, too many people, too many people. There are barricades everywhere. And I started to feel like we were being moved like cattle, right? Like we're being moved through this flow And like our free will of where we wanted to go next was no longer there. And we had to follow the flow of where the people were going and where like the barricades and the police were guiding us. One thing I want to say about the police in London, they were not armed. Maybe they were, maybe they had a gun or like a taser on them, but like they didn't look like they were in the military. These policemen, like they were wearing helmets and they were like laughing. They didn't look intimidating. They didn't look scary. They looked nice. They looked happy. And only a, there were only a few policemen that like actually were armed with like maybe a baton or a taser or maybe a gun. I didn't really see any guns. Um, but most of the people running security at Buckingham Palace were not armed. And I found that to be fascinating how unintimidating the police and the security actually looked. The policemen actually looked like people that would like want to help you if you needed it. And I just found that to be fascinating. But... You know, I was getting that vibe like, okay, you guys, we got to get out of here. Like, we have got to get out of here. There was, um, oh, what's the name? Some royal person was coming through and they had that, God, I don't know the names of any of this shit, you guys. Whatever it's called when a faint, when a royal person comes through the streets and there's like all of the motorcycles and the police cars and then the Rolls Royce and the all of that was happening. And I was like, let's get out of here. And my friends you know, have lived through a lot of terrorist attacks in the UK. So they were also a little bit on edge of like, yeah, no one's going to come shooting because we don't have guns here, but like people can still do dangerous things. And they were still very on edge and they were still like, this is a great day for someone to come and terrorize English people. So like, let's get out of here. And as we finally kind of escape, we end up in this park And it was just covered in flowers and gifts and cards and images and photos. And it was almost like, it reminded me of like a music festival, but it was like for grieving the queen. It was wild. And I posted a lot of videos of it on my story because I just wanted to show you guys like how wild it was. And for the first time, I actually started to feel some emotion. Like these people loved this queen. Like, there's the people, like my friends, who could have cared less that the queen was dead and, like, probably made too many jokes about it. And then there was the people that I would call the monarchists, that really loved the monarchy, that really, I really want to frame it this way. They saw the queen as someone who was keeping them safe. That's how I felt. They saw the queen as this figurehead of, like, mommy's taking care of you, we're all safe in my little kingdom, everything's good. And you can count on me to be the guide and the leader of this nation. And so while I didn't care that the queen died, it meant nothing to me. We all love Princess Diana. And so I think a lot of us like, you know, have, there's a lot of drama there and there's a lot of stories there and a lot of feelings there. But um, walking through that park and seeing all of the cards and just things that people had made for the queen, the flowers that people had been clutching from wherever they came from to leave them at that park, I realized, wow, 
this queen really meant something to these people. And I was really glad that I got to like emotionally feel that and witness that and see that. And it took us so long to get out of there. Like we found an underground and there were police standing in front of it and they were like, sorry, you can't go in. Like they were trying to keep the tubes from getting too packed, which was good because I didn't want to get into a packed tube. Those things scared me a little bit. Oh my god, we had to walk for so long before we could get away from the fray of Buckingham Palace and back into a tube that wasn't just packed with people. So then we got out of there. We went into some other fun parts of town and we just had the best time. Like, and I want to say like it was less about seeing sights and more about being with my friends and I realized that like me and my friends, like we needed each other that week. Like we needed to meet up in London that week. We needed to be with each other that week. Like we all needed each other so much. And there's something about these friendships that I have that, you know, are everything to me. Like I will fly wherever in the world I need to fly to be with you because not only do I love you so deeply and want to support you on your path, but my friends lift me up. My friends remind me who I am. They reflect back to me the person that I am. And we need friends like that. And I was just so grateful. So on our last day, it was so funny because we didn't realize we needed to be out of the Airbnb by 10 a.m. Like that's such an early checkout. And we didn't get our train tickets until 6 p.m. So we were like, okay, we're going to go push our luggage all through London and like get breakfast and then go find a park to hang out at for the rest of the day. And that's what I loved about Europe is that like loitering is completely fine. Like it's totally fine to loiter and just hang out. But you guys... I pushed my suitcases and Law and Kim helped me, but we pushed my suitcases all through London all day. The sound of my rollers rolling on the cobblestones of London will never leave my mind. The feeling of my shoulder rotators pushing those suitcases, I'm still sore from it because we were walking all day because we were like, let's go to Hyde Park. So here's what happened. We're like, let's go to Hyde Park. It's kind of the Queen's Park and we'll go hang out there as long as we want to, get some snacks, maybe have a few brews until we need to go make our train. I always travel with a tapestry in my suitcase so that we can like lay down a space wherever we are. And we finally get to Hyde Park and oh my god, you guys, bombs go off. Not joking you. Soon as we get to Hyde Park, I hear the loudest bomb I've ever heard in my life. Kim, who's Irish, is traumatized. She's freaking out. Lauren, who's Welsh, is like, I'm pretty sure it's just a 21 cannon salute. Kim is 100% sure that we are about to witness a terrorist attack. And Lauren is like, I'm pretty sure this is just a 21 gun salute for the queen. And as we're getting our bearings, because I've never heard a bomb like that go off before, I've never had that experience. I'm looking around and I see a policeman just chilling. He's not stressed. He's like, no one seems stressed by the sound. Kim was the most stressed. And then boom another bomb goes off and I look at the policeman and the policeman's fine and Lauren's like it's a 21 cannon salute they're doing it for the queen and then you can see all the smoke rising in the air and we keep walking and we get closer and we're closer and closer to these cannons these giant cannons and they're just going off bomb after bomb after bomb and I'm like we have to do 21 of these and Lauren's like, yeah, I hopefully they don't do 20, 94 for how old she was or however old she was. Like, it was awful. And I could tell that it was like triggering my friend. It was scary. And so we just keep walking to try to get away from it. And eventually we find ourselves in like a very fancy part of London. Like, 
I'm like, okay, here's where the nice stores are. Here's where the most gorgeous apartments are. Like it felt like we were on the Upper East Side of London and we found this beautiful park away from the freaking cannons. And I laid out my tapestry and we were just so ready to like lay down and be on the ground. And Kim ran to a store to get us some snacks and some beers. And I pulled out my guitar and played some music. And we just sat there for hours. I want to ask you, like, when was the last time you sat in a park with no distractions, with your best friends, just talking, eating Pringles, drinking beer, hanging out, with nothing better to do than just be with each other? Those couple hours we spent sitting there was so healing for all of us. I feel like we all got so inspired. Just so much goodness came through and Kim and Law, if you're listening like that, those couple of hours just sitting in the park with you was honestly probably my favorite part of the trip. But eventually we did have to part ways and uh, Kim had to go back to Ireland and Lauren and I took the train back to Wales. So it was really nice because I got to be with Lauren, go back to Wales and wow, we're gonna have to make a part two for this episode. I had a feeling because I have so much to share with you guys, but we are gonna have to make a part two because eventually I want to tell you guys about coming back to the States, but we're gonna finish up by just ending it with Wales. So one of my very best friends, Lauren, lives in Wales um, and I want to be clear, so Southern Ireland, which is where Dublin is, is separate from the UK, okay? No, it's in the UK. God, this is so confusing. It's in the UK, but it's not Great Britain. Am I right? Oh, God. I can tell that my friends get frustrated with me when this doesn't make sense to me, but it just doesn't make sense to me. So I kept calling them English. None of them are English. None of them are British. Wales is its own country. Southern Ireland is its own country. They're different. They're Irish and Welsh. So I just wanted to make that really clear because I could tell I was bothering them when I kept referring to them as my British English friends. They're like, we're not English. She's not our queen. We live in our own countries. So Wales is its own country in south of the UK. And Lauren lived in a tiny town called Porthcall, right on the beach in this like cute cottage and like Lauren's family has been in Wales for generations and generations and generations and the cool thing about Wales is that all of the street signs are still in Welsh and not everyone there speaks Welsh fluently but like the the native language is still there and my middle name is actually Welsh if you don't know my middle name it's Durr at Ellis Island I believe they changed it to D-U-R-R -R, and Lauren was telling me that it's actually D-W-R-R -R, and it means water so that was really fun to just like kind of learn that about my history. I'm really curious about my Welsh history and why I even have a Welsh last name. But, um, oh my god, this town, you guys. Like, there's so many small towns in the world that we know nothing about. This small town was everything. This beach that Lauren lived on was so beautiful. It reminded me so much of like Oregon or Maine or Canada. Like, just beautiful rocky beaches and Lauren's favorite thing to do is go to this beach and look for sea glass and Lauren has an amazing jewelry company if you want to check it out I'm just gonna like link it in the show notes so you can go look at it but she makes gorgeous jewelry from recycled materials and she picks up sea glass from the ocean and makes the prettiest pieces with it so that was probably my favorite part was just walking on the ocean picking up sea glass, talking with my best friend, just being with the earth. 
And in Wales, like, she really was so connected to the earth. She was so connected to nature. The country was so old and it was so small and it felt like everywhere you went, everyone knew who she was. And the thing about Lauren is that Lauren loves Gilmore Girls. And I always thought she loved Gilmore Girls because it's so American. It's so New England, right? And then we're walking around Porthcall and I'm like, you love Gilmore Girls because you live in Gilmore Girls. Like, this is your life. You're in this tiny town where everybody knows everybody. And like, her boyfriend, she's been with since she was like 16. And like, everybody's been with everybody since they were kids and no one wants to leave. And that is what I really envied about Lau. Is that I was like, do you ever want to live somewhere else? She's like, no, I want to live in Wales for the rest of my life with Joe. Like, I'm so happy here. I love traveling. I love going to other places, but I'm always so excited to come home to Wales. This is my home. I love it here. Like, without a doubt, this is, this is where I'm meant to be. And that I felt jealous about. I really, really envied that. I want to feel that way about my home. And I miss Lisbon so much. Like, I want to get back there that I thought, maybe that's how I feel about it. So my biggest regret with going to the UK is that I, th I thought that I would be so tired from being in Europe for so long that I would only want to go to the UK for a week. And I really, really wish that I had given myself more time there because especially once I'd settled in at Lauren's house in Wales in her guest bedroom, I was so content there. I was so happy that I was kind of anxious that I like already was planning on leaving. Like I was like, no, I want more time. Like why did, why, why, why did I have to make myself in such a rush to get back to the States, you know? But I accepted it. I had to leave. And you guys, when Lauren took me to the bus station or the train station and she walked me right up to, you know, as far as she could, I started crying again because I have such amazing friends, you guys. Like I am so lucky to have these amazing friends all over the world that care about me so deeply, that love me so deeply, that I trust have only nothing but my best interest at heart. Like the way that these friends of mine care for me, I wish that everybody could have friends like I do. And that's the thing is that, you know, I have people tell me, oh, it's so hard to cultivate friendships, blah, 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 blah. It's like my best friend lives in fucking Wales. I haven't seen her in person in almost five years. And I know everything that's happened in her life over the last five years. She knows every detail of my life. We could go weeks and weeks and weeks without talking and she can call me any time of the day and I'm going to answer and I'm going to be like, are you okay? What do you need? So if your friendships mean something to you, cherish them because being at that train station and having to say goodbye to one of my very best friends was so hard. I couldn't stop crying. I'm like, damn, I'm that bitch at the train station again crying because I don't want to say goodbye to my amazing friends. And Lauren kept reminding me, your other best friend is waiting for you on the other side. Your American best friend is going to be there on the other side. So I knew that once I got back to the United States, Ashley, my best friend in America, would literally be at the airport waiting to pick me up and I would be okay. And what I want to talk about to finish this up is this feeling of groundedness. I was worried that I wouldn't be grounded. And if you've done sanctuary with me, you know what it means to be grounded. You know that it's not just about having a home. It's not just about being connected to the earth, but it's the deep feeling of belonging. It's the deep feeling of knowing that people have your back. It's the deep trust that you belong in your tribe and that the people in your tribe 
care for you and are looking out for you. And being all over the world the way that I have been and having my friends just consistently love me, show up for me, hold me while I cry, tell me to get off my ass, tell me to try harder, tell me to be better, tell me to believe in myself. There's no romantic partner that can give me the security and the sense of belonging to the tribe that my friends give to me. And that is priceless. I could be rolling all over the world and I will always feel grounded because my friends and my family keep me grounded. I just wanted to like finish on that really grounded, grounded note. Are you grounded right now? What is grounding you? Is it your home? Is it your connection to the earth? Is it the love of your family? Do you need to learn more about grounding? Come hang out with us in sanctuary. Because if we're not grounded, we cannot create. And I left there feeling so grounded that I was like, it's time to launch sanctuary. And I launched sanctuary literally while I was on the train on my way to Heathrow, back to London. And from that grounded place, I launched it and I'm having so much fun. So yeah, I'm back in Colorado now, but I have so many stories to tell you guys about landing in the States. So we're going to make a part two. We're going to make a part two. Last episode of Lioness part one. Here it is. Part two will come out later. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have anything you want me, any episodes you want to see in the future, as I'm planning my relaunch, any guests you want to see on the show, any specific things I haven't talked about that you want me to talk about more, send me a message. Let me know. This is for you. And I hope that you've enjoyed this show. I hope that in some way, me sharing my stories can inspire you to go do the thing you want to do. Go do the thing you want to do and cherish your friendships. Cherish your friendships, okay? Okay, I'm going to wrap this up and get started on part two, y'all. I love you so much. Let's all just take a dip, big deep breath in. Mm-hmm.